Iowa, since we're talking Big Ten, just want to get to them real quick. Um, and recruiting. The, the over. That too. Yeah, and recruiting. The over under for that game for the Cheez Its Bowl, the Cheez It Citrus Bowl, which is very confusing. The over under for it was 37 and a half. Tennessee scored 35 points and the under hit because Iowa is amazing. And it was my favorite bet uh, win of the weekend because to watch Tennessee get out 28 to nothing, to be like, they could still score one more time. And then if Iowa scores just a singular one score, they would break my over. But of course, Iowa, um, they just went and set the record for punts. Nope, no, no, no can't scores. handle it. They couldn't. They were like, oh my God, that's too much pressure. You need us to get a safety or a field goal. Can't do it. Um, so 35 nothing loss to Tennessee, uh, a Tennessee team whose offense was challenged all year. Third string quarterback Rico, who looks good, but still third string, gets his first start. All of a sudden, they're explosive. Iowa's one thing is supposed to be their defense is good. We know their offense isn't. If there's, we'll talk about this in the offseason. We'll do a who's going to be most hurt by conference expansion. My answer in the mm, Big Ten yep. is Iowa. Iowa is going to suffer the most from this because they will. You talking about having to evolve? They will evolve the least. Like they have already shown, they have zero interest in your evolution. Officially lost track of week counters, but this is National Championship Monday. You're hearing this. This is a uh, same day Natty release. Week. That's the only Nat- number that matters. Yeah, Natty Week, same day release, National Championship Day. Uh, SP and Ross's Untitled College Football Podcast. We are here. Um, the unfortunately titled also in NFL circles, Black Monday, um, which is just from a human and coaching perspective uh just a terrible day for professional coaches like we talk about them getting fired and people moving on and these types of things and so i don't ever want it to sound callous like whenever i write or talk about people being fired or teams moving on those types of things like there are obviously human beings families kids wives husbands uh, people getting up and and moving and and having their lives altered and being fired sucks obviously no one if anyone's ever been fired um it's not it's not a feeling anybody uh ever wants to go through obviously sometimes it's deserved whatever but uh it still sucks so black monday today for the nfl i want to talk a little bit of nfl we don't talk too much nfl here but um, the end of the regular season, it just does allow me to talk a couple NFL topics I got. I got three teams that I want to talk about for three separate reasons. Then we'll get to the college football news of the day, some transfer recruiting news I want to talk about, uh, and then quickly some other bowls that we didn't hit last week. We talked about some other the New Year's Six Bowls or just some other Programs, bowls, results that I think were interesting that we could talk about before getting into national championship talk, because that is really what today is all about. I'm expecting it to be a good one and break more uh, viewer viewing records, but we'll get to that. I want to start with the NFL. So we were talking before we put the cameras on. We talked a little bit about Patriots, Belichick, um, just general Black Monday stuff, coaches coaches losing their jobs and stuff. And the the one of the places that I want to talk about, because the Patriots and Belichick stuff is too long for us to get into now, but I briefly wanted to hit on the Steelers and Mike Tomlin, who it's, you know, he's never had a losing season, which sounds ridiculous to say but it's true uh every year you think 
that their team isn't good. I just caution people the last three or four years. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter, though. Like, he'll just win. He'll just take professional football players. And by the end of the season, we'll have accumulated. It used to be eight because before they extended the season, eight was enough to not be below 500. But he'll just accumulate eight or now nine wins. And this year it was 10. Um, Obviously, Ravens rested, whatever. They got their 10 wins during the playoffs. They're going to Buffalo for uh wild card weekend and if i'm buffalo or buffalo fan i even though our team you know should be feeling good i'd be terrified i would just be terrified because i feel like the steelers are zombies i feel like they're zombies and i just feel like they kind of can't be killed and it doesn't matter what talent advantage you think you have how well you're playing how well they're not playing or mason rudolph starting or kenny pickett or you know, whoever, just, just who, Mitch Trubisky, like whoever the hell might be at quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger could come out of retirement before this playoff game and they'd they still have be no quarterback they'd still and be run fine. the Wildcats <laughs> yeah, or run the wing team. They'd still be, be fine. So I, I would just be scared of that. Like, you know, it's a, that's a tricky game and a tricky spot if you're betting this weekend. Um, But I just wanted to salute Mike Tomlin again. It was maybe three weeks ago that people were asking, is it time to move on from Mike Tomlin? Is the culture in Pittsburgh, you know, kind of a problem that they can't ever seem to do more than just be a game over 500, just good enough to get in the playoffs, but then not win the playoff game? Like, is that good enough? And just looking around the league, I would ask, because I'm going to get to one other team that I would just like, I would ask you, you want to move on from Mike Tomlin? Um, let me just use some other teams as an example here. I just want to laugh at the Jaguars, who were eight and three and have finished the season nine and eight. That is unbelievable. Um, I thought the Jaguars, I'm not a big Trevor Lawrence, I'm actually a Trevor Lawrence doubter. And I think Doug Pedersen's a good coach, uh, a Super Bowl winning coach who was fired in Philly. Then you kind of look at Philly last year, and at least you gotta have to say, well, I guess they did know what they were doing, right? They got back to the Super Bowl. Um, but the Jags would kill for what Mike Tomlin does, which is no matter what, you're gonna probably be in the playoffs, right? Like the Jags can't even get to that part. They were the most talented team in a bad division. One quarterback got knocked out, the other quarterback missed several games, the other quarterback is Brian Tannehill and then will levitt's and they lost that division like that is it an exact reason as why no the the steelers fan base should never even the murmurs of firing mike tomlin and i don't know if it's steelers fans versus just general football people but don't don't ever question mike tomlin ever again that's all i just want to put that one out there and also kind of laugh at the jags because that's that's bad man like trevor lawrence's stats it's floating out there if you guys haven't seen the social media like post, he has identical numbers to Daniel Jones, yeah, like stat wise and almost winning wise in every way. Um, and he was sold as the best prospect since Andrew Luck. And I, again, I think I was the only one that was like, I don't know about that. I, I, I don't know about that. So how we talk about him needs to change and how we talk about Mike Tomlin needs to change. And those are just two, two jumping points I wanted to start the show with. Yeah, a couple of things to add. So one, I think the shout out for not Mike Tomlin is also a shout out for the Steelers organization. Yeah. Because they have appropriately valued Mike Tomlin. I think part of the issue that we see in today's league, and this is across college as well, we fire coaches too quickly. Mike Tomlin has been there for so long because they've allowed him to build the culture, allowed him to have a few bumps in the road. But what he's done as far as sustaining success there is remarkable. So shout out to the organization that have allowed that to happen. The Jaguars, <laughs> they not only have <laughs> not only the playoffs, but also so many embarrassing stories about their organization and getting fleeced out of millions of dollars by their employees. It's a mess over there. Yeah, never forget that. Not surprised. 
never forget that. Thank you for reminding uh, everybody that that is the same organization that lost $22 million because the head of accounting, essentially, um, was, you know, embezzling it to cover mostly gambling debts. That's that team. Out of like They're also the four team that years hired, or something like that? Yeah, they also hired uh, Urban Meyer. And that on its on its own makes me think like you should be forced to sell the team. You, you as an owner and as a league, the NFL should have the right to be like we're concerned that this is an unstable uh, owner and brought Tim Tebow in the Just keep going. Yeah, no, that was that was under the urban like the, the that is the least. When you look back on Urban Meyer's time in Jacksonville, bringing Tim Tebow to camp is actually the best thing that he did. So think about that. Because everything else that he did is worse than bringing Tim Tebow into camp. He was kicking players. He got caught in scandal at his own bar. He was flying back on different planes. He was talking crazy to people. The best thing he did was bring a decent human being, Tim Tebow, to camp. Uh, but like that, that organization. He saw veterans they did that to you. That yeah, that organization is yeah. He also brought in a racist coach, a racist strength and conditioning coach. So literally, the best thing he did was bring in t- uh, Tim Tebow. And um, arguably, the most unforgivable thing was when they played the Rams. He was like, "Who is that ninety nine? Who is he this ninety nine person?" Yeah, not knowing who Aaron Donald. Of all the things, the scandal is least offensive to me than not knowing Aaron Donald as a football coach. I am more offended that you don't know who Aaron Donald is, then you were caught in scandal at your own bar. It's more offensive to me that you don't know who Aaron Donald is. Um, but one thing you said that is worth noting, like I'm done laughing at the Jags. Uh, I'm, thank you for pointing out. They also had money stolen. If you guys haven't read that story, go read it. Um, the Steelers organization also, yes, deserves a shout out. Not just Mike Tomlin defense. They've had four coaches since the sixties. All right. It was, Chuck Noll in 69, and they let Chuck Noll roll until Bill Cower. They let Bill Cower roll until Mike Tomlin, and they're rolling with Mike Tomlin, right? Chuck Noll obviously presided over one of the greatest dynasties, maybe the greatest dynasty in NFL history. Bill Cower won his own Super Bowl and then retired after that. Mike Tomlin came in and in his second season won a Super Bowl. So they have the trust they have organizational functional stability they have trust in their coaches because they seem to hire only good coaches and if you know for a bill cower for example if he gets to the dance a couple times and doesn't win it they don't freak out because every year he was winning about the same thing as tomlin you know what i mean like 10 9 10 games getting into the playoffs going making runs that other teams couldn't or we're not making, and then he eventually wins one. Tomlin wins his early and has gone however many years without you know, winning a playoff game or making it back. But the Steelers don't look at that as like, this guy, we should just fire him and hope that we can get a better option because clearly year after year, there aren't but so many better options than Mike Tomlin. So it's organizational, like you said, and the Steelers are – the only organization that can lay claim to, again, across professional sports, four coaches in 40, 50 years is insane. There's a few. The Steelers, probably the San Antonio Spurs, arguably. Yeah, but I guess the Spurs are like, Popovich takes over at 98. Before then, you got to go back to the late 70s. I think it's ABA at that time where they're good. So that... Yeah, like the the and the Spurs are 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 went ninety eight to about two thousand eighteen, so twenty year run there, um with with one coach, um, so not just like dynasty runs, but just in terms of one singular coach across the sixties, seventies, eighties, then the next coach goes from the nineties into the mid two thousands, and now your current coach took over in two thousand seven. And he's been there ever since, right? The longest, one of the longest tenure coaches. It's behind. It's him. It's Belichick, Popovich. That's it. Um, I mean, arguably, it's it's more difficult to not have a losing season in ten years and just win a championship. 
Yeah, I mean, the if you look at the Super Bowl winners since 2007, first of all, the Patriots, I think, have four of, or no, Patriots have three of those. Tom Brady has four, right? As long as with Tampa Bay. Um, so that was in your own division, right? You had to beat that to win your championship every year. The Ravens have one and went to another one. So that's in your own Comp, you know, the Patriots own conference, Ravens in your own division. Um, the standouts are like Denver, New Orleans, Green Bay, Giants twice, and then recently Rams, Chiefs run. That's it. So it's like it's there, there are a bunch of franchises who are not winning championships and are also not winning nine, ten games every year, right? Like Jags. Chargers, um, the Broncos have have fallen on some some down times. Like the Falcons haven't been able to get right since that Super Bowl. Just a number of teams, right? There's just a number of teams who Super like Bowl the, appearance. Like, yeah, the Dolphins are having a <laughs> having one of their most successful seasons in recent memory. It ended very disappointing last night. They're going into a playoffs now. They have to go to Kansas City, playing freezing temperatures against a defense that's probably going to beat them. I know everyone's down on the Chiefs and Miami's been like the sexy team. I'm hammering the Chiefs this week. Um, and it's just like, the, you know, but this is the, this is every every year for the Steelers is what the Dolphins just had, minus maybe some of the high scoring. They put up big numbers here and there. But every season ends for the Steelers with 10, 11 wins. Maybe we won the division. Maybe we didn't, but playoff game got a chance to make a run to go to the Super Bowl. That's every year for the Steelers. Yes, they haven't won a playoff game in however many years. But Browns, Texans, Col like there are a bunch of teams just like they're back in the playoffs for the first time in a long time. Like Texans, I don't think, haven't been in here since 2017 or 18, something like that, like long time for the Texans. So other teams, it's just the perspective. So I don't want to spend too much time on the NFL, but that it's just, it you know, the perspective – while we are here on Black Monday, and, and the only other thing I do want to talk about on the NFL is related to Black Monday, but while we're here with coaches getting moved on from and teams hoping they could find their next one, and you see it's very often the same teams that are back up every three or four years, like, damn, we, we messed up again. Oh, damn, we messed up again. We messed up again. And it's rare is the team that finds one, and, and you know, it, it's like seven, eight weeks ago, uh, Sean McDermott, it's like he hot seat, hot seat for Sean McDermott. Now he's saying wild things. If you want to hot seat him for the 9 11 comments, that's one thing. Um, but the Bills were laughing stock organization. I just got to keep it front laughing stock organization before Josh Allen got good and before Sean McDermott and that GM and all them. Now I think the GM should be fired before the coach. But just perspective, right? Like the, you, you guys want to fire these coaches that are presiding over teams that are the reason you have expectations now and want to go to the Super Bowl and have Super Bowl or bust mentality. And when you don't go to the Super Bowl, all of a sudden you want to fire the people responsible for getting you to having those like expectations. It just never that never really made sense to me across a number of organizations that do that. Yeah, I think some of that just depends on where your expectations came from. If it really truly is because a coach, through culture, through awesome moves, built up their team, and you want to let them see it through versus you like Brandon said, you got a really good quarterback. I know you have expectations, but it's not really clear that you're the person to take him to the next phase. So I think this is some kind of combination of patience, but also accountability where you got to do something with what you have that your organizations just don't do a good job with historically. Yeah, that's definitely true. There's definitely, I'm not saying all, all of these coaches, cause there are some coaches where I look and it's like, I'm not entirely convinced that you are a good coach so much as you have a talented roster. Um, but then there are situations where, I'm not so sure that you should be so quick to move on from the coach here thinking that the next guy is going to be better, 
that's also that's it's, it's what the mistakes are. So if the mistakes are like game management mistakes, late game clock stuff, like the stuff that's like very clearly you lack experience or competence as a coach. Mm-hmm. I think that stuff gets you fired more quickly sure. versus a bad, you know, a bad uh, stretch of turnovers. And turnovers are historically kind of random. Yeah. Right. And that costs you games. Yeah. I'll hit on, looking at the microscope. Yeah. I'll hit on one quick and then I'll get to my Raiders quick note on Antonio Pierce. Um, I think the Bengals. To me, I've always been questionable about whether Zach Taylor is a good coach or not, or if their team is just absolutely stacked. Because, Well, I know their team is stacked. If that's why they're good. Whether it was his coaching or how much of it was just their talent can be overwhelming. And when Joe Burrow went down and when they lost a couple other players, I was like, okay, this will be kind of telling in terms of getting to evaluate Zach Taylor in his game calling exactly. and managing with exactly. backup. And they actually showed me a little bit more than I was expecting. And so it was kind of a, a way to evaluate like, okay, like maybe not Zach. Ta- I thought he was just not good. I, I might have to say he's not, not good. Um, he might be better than I we thought. We just don't know. But, we don't have any evidence. But, but it, but it helped for me. Yeah, it was a small sample size. I'm like, it helped for me to get some of that and just see, like, okay, he's not incompetent. Like there, there is some of that. Now the Bengals this year, right now or next year, like going into next year, just contractually, there are only two starters guaranteed to be on the team, and it's Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Which that's kind of all you need kind of but not really so like there's a lot that needs to be done this year so this season in terms of how they are rebuilt obviously it's a gm and coaching thing in tandem but i think this will just be another kind of data point in terms of how that looks um raiders yeah i don't want to take this off too too far but like i think about this a lot and i know we're both basketball enthusiasts as well is steve kerr a better coach than David Fisdale. And how do we know? So right. there's, a, there's a sense in which, like, just looking at the results can present a mirage where you're not actually sure about each person's contributions. And to some degree, you know, if Steve Kerr retires with his current, like, four Hall of Famers, three Hall of Famers intact, we may never know. And that's okay, because he has his wins. But, like, there is something to be said for what talent do you have? What organizational conditions did you inherit to that with your entire tenure? Yeah, I think um, unless you have very similar situations in terms of two coaches coaching similarly talented teams, so in the basketball example that you presented, if Fisdale had coached a similarly, similarly talented roster as what Steve Kerr has coached, then you kind of have something comparable. Perfect. Um, All right. So we did have a little technical interruption, but uh, we are back. So quickly, last NFL note, I'll make it quick so we can get to the college stuff. That's what we do. Um, Antonio Pierce must be retained as head coach. And I'm also inclined to say that Champ Kelly, GM, must be retained as the GM for my Raiders. this is quite literally getting to learn from the mistakes that you made just three or four seasons ago, three years ago. You're getting to learn from your mistakes in real time, right? So the John Gruden hire, moving on after Jack Del Rio, um, big splashy hire, paid him a whole bunch of money. It didn't go well. He built a poor team, and it ended in – disgrace and shame and Rich Passaccia took over midseason during that year he's a special teams coach at that time led them on an improbable run they went to the wild card round they lost to the eventual AFC champs in the Bengals and after that season despite that feel-good story they looked for a full-time candidate in which in that case I wasn't pounding the desk for 70-something year old special teams coach Rich Passaccia but there was something to be said for 
Okay, so we went splashy big hire with John Gruden. That failed. Maybe we don't have to go splashy big hire. They went Josh McDaniels. Pretty splashy, big hire, polarizing, patriot guy, big name. Failed several times before. Came in, failed miserably in one and a half seasons. Interim head coach comes in, Antonio Pierce comes in, leads them on a success, you know, successful run that very few people saw coming. Beat the Chiefs, winning record, good vibes in the locker room, all that stuff. Let's not do what we did last time and go look for the other big splashy hire again. Let's just, I'm not saying we have to interview other people. I get it. And the Rooney rule in this case actually means they have to hire at least one other black or interview one other minority candidate, even though they have a minority candidate in this case. Um, but let's just not go big splashy hire. I think Antonio Pierce deserves it. I think Champ Kelly deserves a shot. I think what they did was amazing. It's one of the most fun times I've had as a Raiders fan in the last 20 years. Um, and he should be given a shot. Same way Dan Campbell got his shot and these other coaches. Just give him a shot and let's see with a better roster and more time to play and what it looks like. Um, the guys obviously love him, and it's not always an emotional business, but that matters, um, especially when you have them playing above what their talent dictates they should be, especially on defense. So I just think he should get a full-time look and Champ Kelly, the moves he made in a short period of time. Let's give him a full draft class. I would like to see that. That's all. I think the wisest among us don't just learn from your own mistakes, but not from the mistake of others. We also have cross the country, what happened with David Tepper and the Carolina Panthers in a very similar situation where they had an interim coach. Mm-hmm. They've been there for a while that inspired the team, had them in contention at the end of the season. He did not retain him, did not hire him as a coach, went with a whole other regime, and we saw how that turned out. So yeah, we've seen this happen time and again. Make the right decision. That's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, and in this case, the Raiders might not have a choice because they are one of the uh, poorer cash franchises, ownerships in the league, and they are paying two coaches who don't work for them currently to do stuff, not coaching. So they might not even have, and this is not to disrespect Antonio Pierce, they might not have the cash to sign some of the Jim Harborough or... If, if Belichick is free or somebody like some of the big names that are going to be linked to open jobs, I'm not saying that they are specifically to the Raiders, but they might not have the money to pay those people. And Antonio Pierce would be somebody who you can pay as a first time, you know, prove it coach and could very well be exactly what this team needs, which is just an identity. Um, somebody who truly is going to build a culture in this team, not somebody like Josh McDaniels who just talks about building culture or who thinks that, you know, the Patriot way is just going to take that with him and not somebody like John Gruden, whose culture is uh, not saying he's the only one, but clearly his culture is a little toxic and people probably don't really mm-hmm. like him. People don't like him like that. So let's, let's, let's not, uh, Let's not overlook a good thing here. Let's do our due diligence and hire, I mean, an interview and bring in other candidates. Absolutely. Do an extensive search. But let's let's understand that you might have been gifted with the the perfect opportunity right here, right in your building, right in front of you. And let's not overthink this thing. All I right. just need a win. Like this is a, a, a win. Get a win. Yeah, just win, baby. Just win. Um, all right, that's our NFL notes. Let's get to college football. Um, starting with some transfer recruiting stuff, just some 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 quick high points, and then we'll get to the other bowl games and then the natty. Um, on the recruiting side of things, what I'm seeing is two. I, I wrote down three schools, and and we'll throw Dion in here, so we'll throw in Colorado. Two schools that I'm seeing should feel really good about um, kind of how the portal and recruiting landscape seems to be going this is an end-all be-all but it's just something it can be an indicator i mentioned it before nebraska um matt rule the program builder dylan rayliola family ties to nebraska so he's the top quarterback ends up going there but he also just flipped i think it was a i think it was florida or one of an sec school 
flipped the top uh, top 10 running back in the class to go to Nebraska amongst some other recruiting wins that they've had. Um, and I want to talk about Matt Rule in Nebraska and Deion Sanders in Colorado because I think those are two – would you say that those are two similar – situations in the sense not in terms of like directly what they inherited but the programs themselves are story programs from 30 plus years ago that have not been at that level since but have a fan base and desire to return more so in nebraska to return to that um and we're both given like opportunities to from a resource standpoint we're gonna let you guys kind of build this thing as you see fit with the can we kind of compare those two as similar builds in terms of what they're being asked to do which is take a program that hasn't been nationally relevant in you know two plus decades and try to make them somewhat top 25 top 20 national relevant yeah i think similar is right i think just like what you said i think there are some higher expectations at nebraska of course and deeper pockets but yeah. as far as like the current state of the roster and the actual job that's in front of them i do think the ask or the task Matt Rule versus Deion Sanders is similar. similar I do think Deion has enough. more leeway to not win than Matt Rule does. Because, again, I think Nebraska has yeah. more recent success and it's more of a tradition of excellence yes. versus the Colorado. Yeah, um, I would agree with that. And I would also then say I think it kind of informs the way you see these two are going about their build or rebuild, however you want to look at it. Um I I just will look at transfer news, recruiting news, signing, just at the end of every day, I just kind of do a scroll for like a couple minutes and just see the mascots, the school, school names. And the since he flipped, you know, since he got the new lineman on the early transfer day, I have not seen Colorado's name on any of these sites near any of these top recruits and i see nebraska next to like nebraska is just going crazy right in a in a real in a way that almost informs what you said which is matt rule and nebraska and the expectations there are oh no like you need to be winning next year and and then by year three like we need to be talking about conference competing for the conference whereas dion from the colorado fan base and standpoint Last year, being the story of college football for the first four weeks was a win. This year, if they get to a bowl game, that would be another win, right? So I think he, Dion, has more of a leeway for that build, like you said. But I am a little alarmed that Colorado's not anywhere near these top 25 schools in terms of the recruits that they're bringing in strictly from high school. They did have a successful portal um, run early on, but there's still more transfers happening in the portal. And if you're building something, it needs to be built off of your ability to recruit out of high school. Still, I think you need to be able to work the portal, but sustainability, I think is being able to do both. And I just have concerns yeah. about the lack of Colorado. I'm seeing as I'm seeing all these kids sign and all these names, when I'm seeing other programs um, up there, you know, like I'm seeing Notre Dame have a little bit more success with Marcus Freeman. Texas A&M is doing just fine, even with the coaching change. Um, the Ohio State's doing fine, despite their embarrassing loss that we'll talk about. Like certain schools are going to be all right, but like Colorado, you have to, you have to like outwork and out recruit and out, like, you got to figure out a way to do it better. You can't, you know what I mean? I feel like we talked about that. Like, there they just needs to be a more of a heavy effort to move the needle recruiting-wise. And so far, I just am not seeing it. 
Yeah, I think that that brings up an interesting philosophical question. And I think my thinking on this has changed a little bit. So in this transfer portal landscape, in this NIL landscape, the question that keeps coming to mind for me is, what is the actual value of recruiting high school players versus transfers? Mm-hmm. We're assuming that in the most stable programs, you are recruiting and retaining these two, three, four, five-star prospects and enable them to finish with you, graduate with you. Like, that's fine. But if you're not one of those programs that can do that, and I think there's only a few of them, what we're actually talking about from a high school perspective is you're bringing in these recruits. Maybe they're registered. Maybe they don't. But they're actually sitting for the early part of their career, and they're being developed and coached by you such that if they're not getting playing time by their freshman year, sophomore year, they're out the door. And all that investment you put into them, you're benefits of. And so knowing that that's in reality right now for a lot of programs, is it better to invest more of your recruiting capital on transfers? on folks who have a higher likelihood of staying with their program for longer, as opposed to recruiting high school kids that probably aren't going to be playing anyway. Yeah. Um, I see both sides of it and why I think you're right. Maybe if it's a pie chart, maybe you do put more percentage into the transfer portal. But what I hear is what I do think. I think the, decisions that the people in the transfer portal are making most of the transfers i think end up making poor decisions when they transfer i think we're only we we only hear about the top name we focus mostly on quarterbacks mostly on quarterbacks mostly on the top names but a majority of people that transfer probably aren't transferring into a better situation so that's the first part of it that gives me a little about the transfer part but my, I think why the high school recruits and having top recruiting classes out of high school still will matter and why you'll need it is because the way that you're going to attract the transfers that are desirable to your school is because you've been winning enough or have a good enough team and are just missing a back or a receiver or a quarterback, whatever the case. But... The re- like, for example, Talia T- Tungavailoa now entering the transfer portal, get, being granted, needs to be granted extra uh, a year of eligibility to do so. But he is now a quarterback looking for a team who is all set across the board everywhere else and just needs that quarterback. And most of those teams that are all set across the board everywhere else and just need that quarterback. Most of them had good high school recruiting classes and then filled in the holes with transfers. So I think to to lure or to be desirable to the top transfers, you need to already have a good team. And I think most of the teams that are good at all 18, 19, 20 other positions are most of that is going to be because you recruited out of high school. I mean, I don't know how many schools are. Yes, the portal is important at a number of positions, but you still need to have these classes that come in and play big minutes, play big spots, start and hold it down. So I do think like to, to a, uh, I'm sorry, um, Talia right now, the everyone wants to put him in Miami, right? Because they missed out on Cam Ward and all these other quarterbacks. And I feel like it's because transfers are like, yeah, Miami school, and I have a good time down there, but Mario Cristobal, uh, uh. But one thing Mario Cristobal does do, like we say, like he's good at recruiting. He'll get recruiting classes in there. So now they are in the discussion of when these transfer quarterbacks are looking at places, they're looking at Miami because they got a lot yeah. of talent. Um, so like I think that's why it matters. I, so I think one informs the other. Like you do have to do a mixture of both. You do have to have resources de- dedicated to both. But I think the way you get the best transfers are by already having somewhat of a base and a team and culture established. And I think largely you're going to do that through recruiting classes and people who are out the gate 
deciding to come here and not the people who are hoping that coming here is better than where they were. So it's a balance. Yeah, I think that's right. I'll, I would throw in another variable that I think matters for coaches. If I'm in a situation as a coach, why I'm trying to win now, or maybe in the case of Dion, well, I'm not planning to be here for five years, then I have more of an incentive to recruit grown men mm-hmm. and try to figure the culture part out later, as opposed to That's trying true. to convince 18 year olds that, you know, I'm going to play pace for you. We're going to grow together, all that. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. So that's why, yeah, I agree. It's a balance. And I think each school, maybe certain schools, the situations are different depending on the coach, depending on your school, who, you know, some schools are going to be more, I would say the group of five schools are going to need to be better at recruiting high school because you're not going to have as many situations where you're like people are transferring to the group of five. I feel like you're going to probably have more people going from group of five to power five schools. And so the group of five schools are going to have to, Jefferson. <laughs> yeah. Like, and you know, Grayson McCall going from uh coastal to NC state. Like, I guess, yeah, KJ Jefferson's said he's going from the SEC to UCF, um, which is now big, 12 so they could win the big 12 I guess now the big 12 yeah so um but yeah i think it, it'll be interesting to watch for sure we'll have all, all off season we'll definitely talk about it two other schools um i mentioned nebraska just keep an eye on them colorado they're going more the transfer route so we're gonna have to see what that looks like how much better their offensive line is what that enables them to do um and then what Again, what a Dion offense looks like. What a do like what is his style of uh play once he has more of a team that he wants? What does that look like? One other team also I, I mentioned Ohio State, they're doing well. Florida, I just wanted to mention uh Billy Napier. This is the make or break season, and he is having a tough go at things in the recruiting and transfer portal. They're losing recruits, they're losing uh players to the portal. Uh, everyone does, but like the word on the street about Billy Napier is he kind of almost he, he has that uh, Louisiana still, you know, group of five mentality of I'll take the leftovers and I'll mold them into better players and we'll go beat the big boys. And he, he they say he kind of still has that mentality at Florida, which you, you can't do. Like they say, he's all too happy taking a four star or a three star that no one else wanted and proving, you know, kind of building with that as opposed to no, man, you need to sell out and go all in for these five stars this is florida we need to be on the same level as georgia and bama and these other schools like we like we can't they're recruiting five stars and they're getting them yeah like though that you you can't have that mentality when we're going against the people who have who literally make up the top 10 recruiting classes that's like half of our conference you can't try to find value in that way or if you do you have to win and so far, he hasn't won enough to to play it that way. So this is the year. to go nine and three, but that's yeah. you can't do that at Florida either. Yeah, I mean, even getting there would be great, right? Like if they could just if they could win eight or nine games this year, you know, they they didn't even make a bowl game. Like that's that'll get you fired. So right, um, right. this is the make or break year, and and so far it's been a rough start to the off season. So it just bears monitoring. I I I believed in the Billy Napier hiring, but how quickly this all might run its course, um, you know, it, it just might not be the fit. And that Florida job is a beast, right? Like they they had the Tim Tebow year expectations still, uh, even, you know, Spurrier and like they, they those expectations carried over to the Tebow years and they still have those expectations that they haven't been that since then, but but don't tell them that. So just a little recruiting news there. Going to find himself out of a job. Yeah, if it doesn't, next year is the year. Next year you have to, and now it can't just be like, you know, oh, we got to the Alliance Bowl or the the, the mortgage rate bowl. Like now you, you need to, outside of Georgia, there's like Florida wants to look at the SEC East and say, yeah, we should be where Tennessee is. We should we should be better than A and M, Texas A and M, not in the same East, but still like we shouldn't be losing to Kentucky. 
Like we shouldn't watch Kentucky run away with, you know, our place and like that, all those things shouldn't be happening. So they, uh, this is a make a break. They've already with Dan Mullen that even if you do win some games, like not, not recruiting is not, it's not enough. Yeah. Can't have it. You're, you're too, it's too similar in that way, right? If you're not going to win recruiting wars and not going to win, there's nothing, there's nothing that we could do for you. Um, all right, let's quickly other bulls before Natty Championship, just real quick, because they are going to be of significance, some of these results. Um, I don't know if I laughed, if we laughed in Miami enough for what they did, but <laughs> losing to Rutgers and Greg Schiano in a baseball stadium is just like, it's the reason why I think Cam Ward said, I would rather go on the second day of the NFL draft than go play down in Miami like it's just not going to help my draft stuff my draft stock so I'll just you know dug it out with the day two team um just bad just really bad like an awful end to a really disappointing season they have not competed in the ACC since they joined the conference I think they played in one championship maybe but we're at the point where and I've said that during the season, Duke is better than you. UNC is better than you. NC State's better than you. You better watch out for Syracuse with the way Fran Brown's recruiting. They might be on level footing ground with Miami soon. Um, like they're not competing where Florida State is. Uh, Louisville passed them this year and Jeff Brom looks to be building something there. Just like it, it's, it's really bad, and they are on the hook with Crystal Ball. There, there is no fire in Crystal Ball. They don't have the money down there in Miami the way some of these other programs have to be paying big old buyouts. So no matter how bad it gets with him, they're just going to have to thug it out. And um, maybe uh, Talia goes there. Okay. I'm seeing if he goes there, then they could compete for the ACC. And I'm just like, all right, slow down. Like, just everybody slow down. It, it's clear that – Miami is not one piece away. Yeah, it's clear. It's at. clear. It's not just add a quarterback because Tyler Van Dyke was good until he wasn't, right? So it's clear it's not. It, it also might be a Mario Cristobal isn't good at coaching quarterbacks because Justin Herbert looked very average a lot of the time at Oregon and then got to the NFL and lit it up his first three years. So, I, like, I'm I'm not so sure about Mario Cristobal. Um, that's that's, but it's going to be fun to watch because their expectations again are of the 80s, 90s, 2000 dynasty U, and the number of teams that have surpassed them in the amount of time since that has been the case is just, it's, it's hilarious. So that is that. Um, I wanted old Miss Penn State. What Lane Kiffin has done at Old Miss, you know Lane Kiffin's my guy, partly because of how he talks and just his outlook on this whole thing, just being like, uh, you know, I'll say whatever. I'll talk crash. Um, I feel like he was the first one to talk about, like, not paying players, but yeah, kind of like paying players. Like, I just feel like some of the stuff that's now like an open discussion was always kind of the Lane Kiffin point of view on a lot of the college football stuff. He is the portal king. Right, he's built an eleven old eleven win old miss team has never happened before. So, getting eleven wins at old miss, beating Penn State to do so, um, that's that's another team. I, I'm not going to do the James Franklin thing right now. It's just they're going to have a tough time with more teams joining. Uh, Penn State is going to find themselves a lot lower in the standings. They're used to being behind Michigan and Ohio State only. They're now going to have to get in line behind Washington and Oregon and USC. Like, there's going to be a whole bunch of teams playing, you know, football of this era that are going to pass them while Penn State is playing football of the uh, 80s. So that game to me was just like the future in Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin and the portal and high-scoring football meets the 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 dying out the past yeah, yeah. Meets, meets what is now the past in james franklin's penn state team so I, just stylistically that was interesting to me oh iowa 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 tennessee iowa quickly with a uh, penn state i, yeah, I unless think i, was gonna say I think there's got. a forcing mechanism i think the expansion of the big ten is going to be a forcing mechanism for james franklin to evolve because i think what he's been able to do up to this point is 
consistently get to 10 win seasons without changing much. Mm-hmm. But with the quality of competition increasing, those 10 wins are going to become seven or eight really quickly. And so he's going to have to either adapt or he will find himself out of a job because I think he can continue to sustain 10 win seasons. But if they start to go eight, seven, six, missing bowls, he'll be mm-hmm. out soon. Yeah, and it's not just the quality. It's also the style of play of the quality entering the conference. And this goes across the Big Ten. This is for Michigan, Ohio State. This is for all of you. Um, you are about to be forced to play. Go look at Michigan's schedule for 2024. There's a stretch of games in there uh, where they have they have never seen anything like that. The likes of Michigan, they have never looked at a schedule and been like, oh, my God, look at all that offense. So just across the board in the Big Ten, the way these Pac-12 teams are coming in, they're not I'm, – I'm just – I'm telling you now – they are not going to have to adapt to, oh, we play big boy football and we're going to run it. It's going to be easier for them to adapt to that than it is for these other teams to adapt to playing with these Pac-12 style yeah, it's a good offenses. Point. And it's a good so, point. It's, yeah, it's not just the quality, but that the style that's coming in, right? If you find yourself down 14-21 real quick against some of these other teams in the way that no other Big Ten schools do, that's it because the way Penn State plays, that that's game over. You don't come back from that. So they, you know, and they do went, that now, right? They can they can spot Indiana fourteen points now, right? Because it's Indiana, back. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you can't do that with Oregon. You can't do that with Washington and USC and Utah. And like those, that you're not gonna be able to do that. Um, you will lose like, by twenty eight if you spot them fourteen. Yeah, that's a whole different, a whole different game. So. They are, they are adapting. They went. They got the Kansas offensive coordinator, so they're trying to modernize their offense. Um, but we'll see. That one's a we'll see. Iowa, since we're talking Big Ten, just want to get to them real quick. Um, and recruiting. The, the over. That too. Yeah, and recruiting. The over-under for that game, for the Cheez-Its Bowl, the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl, which is very confusing. The over-under for it was 37 and a half. Tennessee scored 35 points and the under hit because Iowa is amazing. And it was my favorite bet uh, win of the weekend because to watch Tennessee get out 28 to nothing to be like, they could still score one more time. And then if Iowa scores just a singular one score, they would break my over. But of course, Iowa, um, they just went and set the record for punts. No, they can't. no, Iowa no can't scores. handle it. They couldn't. They were like, oh my God, that's too much pressure. You need us to get a safety or a field goal. Can't do it. Um, so 35 nothing loss to Tennessee, uh, a Tennessee team whose offense was challenged all year. Third string quarterback Rico, who looks good, but still third string, gets his first start. All of a sudden, they're explosive. Iowa's one thing is supposed to be their defense is good. We know their offense isn't. If there's, we'll talk about this in the offseason. We'll do a who's going to be most hurt by conference expansion. My answer in the Big Ten yep. is Iowa. Iowa is going to suffer the most from this because they will. You talking about having to evolve? They will evolve the least. Like they have already shown, they have zero interest in your evolution. So um, that one was just funny to laugh at. LSU. Just a quick note in that Wisconsin game. Um, is Chip? Uh, I'm sorry, Brian Kelly needed that win. Letting Wisconsin's offense look explosive is just a bridge too far. We know LSU's defense has been soft all year, but to let Wisconsin all of a sudden come out firing on all cylinders, lighten up the scoreboard in a way Wisconsin has not done all year, they at least needed to win that game. So, And they look really good in purple jerseys. I think they need to wear the purple jerseys more. I know it's like a superstition thing why they don't, but the purple with the red on Wisconsin, that was the – one of the more beautiful bowl games of the season, but that was a already big, one like, of the offseason winners too. Yeah, they're Brian pretty Kelly much clean house that. on defense. They yeah. got a uh, got the number one overall player. Yep, quarterback, quarterback next to Chris Glass. Yeah, yep. so he's yep. there. That was big. Bright. In that was Baton big. Rouge. Big, and I don't. I'm not. None of that probably changes if they lose that game. But the message board, what's good with Chip Kelly? How much more like bad defense can we stand before we heat the seat up? It cools down a little bit with the victory, but I'm just here to say, Brian Kelly, you're not low. Letting Wisconsin look explosive is 
you know, that's an indictment. It's not good. But they are, you know, they're LSU still. They're always going to have a good recruiting class. Top five coaching, you know, place to coach in the sport yep. because of the talent. Um, He's been hiding over there too, but we're going to, in the next 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 season, when we talk much more about Luke Fickle, about yeah. what is and isn't happening at Wisconsin. Well, that's the thing, right? First year, this is year one. Um, I would say it's – I I was slightly disappointed, not because of the record or win loss per se. It was more so how they looked in certain performances. Mm-hmm. I I expected a Luke Fickle. The 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 change I expected to see from Luke Fickle coming in was we're going to modernize this offense a little bit. We're going to lift the ceiling on or the floor rather on points per game with this team, and it just wasn't that. Um, so I, you know, that year two of Luke Fickle at Wisconsin again with the conference expansion, certainly a job and a program to keep an eye on, uh, with you know with which direction they go because they've never been a big recruiting, uh, war winning team. Yeah. Uh, so Wisconsin's you know, a state that's not necessarily top heavy talent wise. Yeah. O O line. O and D line almost exclusively. If you're talking about in state, um, it's kind of what they do there. So transfer portal will be big for Wisconsin. Um, and then, yeah, Luke fickle year two of establishing a program and a system and, a, a you know, two years of a recruiting class. We need to see something a little bit more from them. Yeah. Um, Not to contradict ourselves. Like he, he needs time. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, so that's, but you, but you year, do want to year, see within that progress year to year. Right. The way that this year was year two for Billy Napier and you, and, and this was a big kind of which way is this thing going year. Um, that, that, that next year is that for Luke Fickle. Right. And this year was a disappointment for Napier. If Luke Fickle improves upon this year and how they look, then okay. You're headed in the right direction, but yeah, we'll see year two, Uh quick Ohio state. And then you want to get to the national championship game. Quick Ohio State and just one note, Notre Dame is a good win over Oregon State. Marcus Freeman's got that thing going in the right direction to finish that season with 10 wins. The three losses, when you look back on them, Louisville, top 15 team. Uh, Ohio State, they had 10 guys on the field for two straight plays and lost at the end of the game there. So, you know, respectable loss to Ohio State. And then uh, the Clemson loss, right? Like, that's that's not bad. They had a really tough schedule. Um, could have went worse. So I feel like 10 and 3 finishing that way with a win over Oregon State was good. Quickly, Ohio State, uh, that was embarrassing. I guess we kind of did talk about that already. But just again, for them to not score any points without Marvin Harrison Jr., just to show that this team was not that good with Ryan, Ryan Day already kind of like. His seat's already hot because you lost to Michigan three times, and that's just the life of an Ohio State coach. But then you put up that bowl performance against a rising Missouri team, a team that's going to have something to say in a 12-team playoff. Um, It's just concerned. It's even more concerning. So, Ryan Day, you need to Missouri partying all week. (laughs) Yeah. A A Missouri team that it confirmed. Even what I said, they still won. But what I said, very much confirmed. They were having a good time. It was their Super Bowl. They were out all week. But they came ready to shut Ohio State out because I can't even say they came ready to play. Missouri went three quarters of just nothing. Good defense, but just three quarters (laughs) offensively, no points. Then in the fourth quarter, they got their two touchdowns. But um, just a bad game overall and bad for Ohio State. So Ryan Day – you don't beat Michigan next year, it's pretty much over for you. Like that's because it'll be a 12 team playoff unless you have just a disaster of a season. You'll make the 12 team. But if you lose to Michigan, get in as like a nine, eight seed or whatever, and lose in the opening round or don't make the 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 championship or the playoff of four, it's it's probably I'll, over. A final four. I think a final four saves them. Not if he loses to Michigan both You think times. if he loses to Michigan, <laughs> yes. he loses to Michigan but still makes the final four, you think he's so, going to get fired? Okay, if he loses to Michigan, makes a final four, 
and then they lose to not Michigan in that Final Four, sure. If he loses to Michigan twice, because what if he makes the Final Four? Oh, uh, no, you can't lose to Michigan twice. Yeah, so, yeah, if you make the Final Four without losing to Michigan twice. But it also depends on how that Final Four loss goes. Because let's say in round one they play, you know, uh, a two or three loss uh, Louisville or Clemson, right? Uh, let's say they, they play them, they beat them, and then they lose by several scores to in the in the in the final four i think it then becomes a discussion of does ryan day have a ceiling and is his ceiling we will beat teams that are worse than us but if they're equal or better i'm sorry you guys are on your own because that's kind of the book yeah. right now so the book right now to me on ryan day is he'll beat the teams that are better than him he will struggle with the equal with a team that is equal to them and if a team is slightly better or better, you will not have a coaching advantage. That's what I'm seeing from Ryan Day so far. But let's get to the natty. Um, because there's no... Uh, we'll do maybe more bowl wrap-ups later. But the natty All is right. tonight. We have Texas as... I'm sorry. Michigan... Last I saw, there were four point favorites. Just gonna double check it. Four point favorite, four and a half, I think. Yeah. Okay, still, still, still that. Let's see. I got um, a, uh, Oh wow, it's growing. A, oh, it is it. Five and a half, Michigan. Wow. I got the over under total at fifty five. This is ESPN bets. Which one? Which for the? I swear I. I looked at this for the Texas-Washington game when we were doing our last episode, and I read the ESPN over-under. I swear it gave me a 40-something, and that just wasn't true. It was actually 60-something, but this is correct. So I got Michigan minus 5, over-under of 56. Um, I understand Michigan being the favorite. I think Michigan's going to win a shootout against Washington? Well... I, I understand them being favorites because I think how this is predicted to go, not that this is how it's going to go. I think how this is predicted to go is Michigan keeps Washington's offense off the field, which would be how you win the game if you're Washington. Yeah, that's, that's how you um, win. So quick breakdown here. Washington, I got two, one thing for their offense, one thing for their defense, and then a bonus. Offensively for Washington, protect Michael Penix. I think that's – you saw what Michigan's O-line did to Alabama and the poor snaps aside, there were some perfectly regular snaps where the you know Michigan's D-line just dog-walked Alabama's front and was just at Jalen Rose's you know, feet immediately. Um, but O-line, Washington's better. It's awarded the best O-line in the country. Yeah, they, they do a good job keeping they, them up. They need to allow two sacks or less, right? Anything more than that, I think, becomes a problem. So I think two sacks or less from their O-line needs to be the goal offensively because I don't have any questions about how Panix is going to play, about their receiving core, Ndunze, both the Jalens. I think they'll be fine. I think losing their starting running back for, for Washington could be a problem. Um, but I think, again, uh, it's more O-line there, keep Penix upright, two sacks or less. Defensively, it's fairly obvious you have to stop the run. Uh, the last two games for Washington, Texas and Oregon, both teams that could run the ball, they allowed six yards per carry or more. Which that's is way too many. If you do that to Michigan, it's that's going to be a problem. Um, so you need to really, really, really trust your secondary to be on islands from time to time. You have to trust one safety to come into the box. Like whatever you need to do, you need to hold up against the Michigan team because um, they're going to run the ball. And we know – that can be tough to stop. So if it, it going to Michigan, McCarthy beat you. Yeah, make JJ McCarthy the, box, the reason. Make JJ McCarthy beat you. Make JJ McCarthy the reason. We know Michigan's going to want to establish the run. 
and keep that offense off the field. So what Washington's defense needs to do is directly in opposition of what Michigan's offense is going to do. Michigan defensively, they need to limit those chunk plays that Washington seems to get on everyone, force them to dink and dunk, force them to take what's underneath. He Like Michael Penix can do that, but you need to force it. They have the probably best secondary to match up. With what Washington has, it's still going to be a tough battle, but Michigan has two pro corners, so at least there they can match up. Uh, but you got to limit those 20 and 30 yard, like those bomb plays that Washington gets. If you can force them to matriculate to 9, 10 play drives down the field, it just, you know, there's more chance of a turnover. There's more chance they have to be more perfect. They have to execute more plays as opposed to taking those chunks. So limit the chunks, easier said than done, but that's what they got to do. And then the bonus for Michigan, like you said, J.J. McCarthy, like he has to make big-time throws. It's going to be at least four or five big-time throws that he's going to need to make, and he can't miss them. He certainly can't turn the ball over like he tried to do against Bama. Uh, And then the bonus for Michigan is, if I mean, for Washington, if they can get their run game going, right, if they can at all make Michigan have to commit or respect – a rushing attack that's doing some damage the way that that will open up their passing game will make it almost impossible for Michigan to hang with that so that's the bonus there for Washington I've swayed back and forth on this I know I've I've rocked with Washington kind of as the winner here I thought they were going to play Alabama and I like that matchup better I dislike the matchup here with Washington with Michigan so while I will probably pick for Washington and will root for Washington here for a number of reasons, I have my concerns and I will very meekly pick Washington, but I understand why Michigan's the favorite. And I do see a world where it's not a shootout, where Michigan just keeps controlling the clock, where we keep seeing shots of Penix on the sideline waiting to get in the game. And then it's just a possession counting game and Washington has to score on every possession. And then Michigan just needs to find that one or two stops. Yeah. What? Yeah, I think that's right. Should be fun. Should be close. I don't foresee a blowout either way, which is good. And um, I think Jim Harborough leaves after this. So win, lose, or draw. I think this is the last Harborough game in Michigan. And I'm hearing some Charger so talk. I'm hearing Harborough to the Chargers. Go go fix the Herbert situation. So. We will see. But we will. Um, maybe we'll do another episode this week. Maybe not. If you guys don't hear from us again this week. What a fun college football season. Number one is playing number two. Despite my objections to Michigan being number one, the fact that it came down to the number one and number two team pretty much all season, undefeated, um, two varying styles of play, two Big Ten teams, future Big Ten, current Big Ten. Um, that's big for the conference. So a lot of a lot of implications there, but enjoy the game tonight, everyone. And uh, we will be back with y'all either later this week, but probably next week, off season. We're not going away. We will cover the sport and all the wonderment that is college football. But uh, enjoy the final game of the season, and we will get at y'all later. All right, y'all. Peace. Peace.